Let's take up our Bibles now and turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, as we continue our walk toward Good Friday and Easter, also through again part of the libretto of the Messiah, the oratorio tonight, to that peace, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so we hear these words from the prophet directly from him. Isaiah 53, we'll take up for our text this evening, verses 4 and 5. We pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it's what he's prepared for us this evening. It's an inerrant, infallible word for our salvation. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's seek his help in it in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come again, thankfully, to familiar words, words that we have heard so many times Father, we are thankful, ever more thankful for them, for what they speak of the work of the suffering servant of our Savior, Jesus Christ, of the realities, Father, that have been earned for us by way of his life and death, his resurrection, and even as we praised you for this morning, your ascension. And so, Father, in coming to grips even more so with this text this evening, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit would be pleasing to you. Father, that you would work in us a great wonder, a great zeal, Father, a great thanksgiving for the work of your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. Children of God called to be saints, surely he hath borne our griefs. And so we're thankful in the word just how often that kind of theme does become repeated. In fact, throughout the scriptures, and if we consider even in our listening to music, repetition can be a very powerful tool. And so that's true as, again, you listen to the oratorio Messiah and you hear it as it is connected with this text, as though it is a pleading. There's grief in it, but yet that need for us to hear again, surely, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And it's repeated in many ways because of what should still strike us as the surprise of it all. Why would he do this? Why would anyone do this? Surely, surely, why would anyone do such a thing for people like you and me? Why? It even links us back, if your Bibles are still open, back to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He came for those who despised him, who would not see him for who he was and what he was there to accomplish. And for many today, that's still the case. But it's also repeated for us because we need to be reminded again and again and again of the surety that's signaled for us here, the truth 
that we hold on to. Surely, surely he has done this for us. Surely the good shepherd has gathered the lambs in his arms. Surely he carries those that are with young. We're not surprised by this. He's a good shepherd. A good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We're not surprised, but why not? Why doesn't it continue to strike us with that same kind of of wonder? We're not even surprised by the example he leaves us. And yet that too should surprise us at just how unwilling we are to take up the walk that he has exampled for us. He grants us a command, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill my law together. But we're still surprised, surprised by and assured of the fact that in taking us up, and more specifically in this text, in taking up our griefs and our sorrows, the burden of our sin, the weight of the wrath against our transgressions, taking up all that our guilt has brought about, we who were blind are now made able to see him, to see him as he is to see what he has done for us, to see what he has given, to see what he is doing, and to be able, even as we worship, to thank him. Thank you, Lord, for shouldering every part of my curse, every bit of my sin, all of my shame, that I can be brought into the presence of a father, that I can be restored in right relationship to him, And that I can be brought to to brothers and sisters in that same peace now and forever. And so in that way, in terms of the surprise of what Christ has done, and our lack of being at least in that way met with it anew again, we're brought to that message repeated in those words, surely he has done this, surely he has done this for you, he has done this for me. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows for our salvation. And he's done that by way of a total shouldering for our sight. We see that in verse 4. What he has to bear that we might see him and see the wonder of what he has done for us. And then by way of a total punishment for our peace in verse 5. But it's first about a total, total shouldering for our sight. And that's signaled already there in terms of that surprise by the first word of our text this evening in verse 4, surely. And as we read the text, and perhaps as we do our own devotions around this Lenten season and are, are directed again to these passages of the suffering servant, we, we typically read a word like this and we just take it and move on as a word of our assurance. And that isn't a bad thing. That's a profound blessing. But there's more here in terms of the construction of the conjunction as it is used because it's a conjunction in the Hebrew that emphasizes something unexpected, an unexpected event or or an unexpected reality, a twist in the story that no one would ever write or even ever expect. And that's why we need to pause at times when we consider this familiar story of, of of the crucifixion, of the resurrection, of 
of Lent and being driven to Easter is that it's become so familiar that some of that shock, shock and awe isn't, isn't there. But consider that amongst a people soon headed off to exile in an understanding of what would need to be done to do far more than bring them back from Babylon, but to bring them back into right relationship with the Lord. In the surprising way that, that this isn't the, the conquering servant, this isn't the, the servant that's going to put everybody back in their place, it, it's the one who will suffer for us. No one would anticipate a Messiah who would suffer. No one would anticipate that he would be willing to perform all of this and accomplish all of this for salvation, much less ours. But that's exactly the confidence, even in the unexpected, that we are able to cry out to God and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Because he has borne our griefs. And what we're met with right there is that there is no delegation. There isn't a way in which God is saying, I'm going to make a plan and someone else is going to carry it out. Or you'll find a way to do this and deliver yourself. We can. And so he himself. Again, not delegating the responsibility, not asking someone else to do it. That even Jesus, in asking, Father, take this cup from me, steals himself in the statement of his purpose. This is why I've come. He knows who he is. I am the suffering servant, thus leading him to cry, not my will, but yours be done. He himself surely sent. He himself surely taking up this work according to the will and plan of the Father for our salvation. He has borne our griefs. He himself shouldering all our griefs. He carries all of it. And so in a small way, as we think about that, the times that that we have to carry things, parents, perhaps you, similar to me, are a parent who when you head out on a field trip with your children, doesn't particularly like to carry things for them. It's inevitably going to happen. Hey, Dad, can you hold this? Hey, can you take this for me? <laughs> no. Carry your own stuff. Why don't you just leave it in the car? We, we become impatient. I don't want to be inconvenienced in that way. I don't want to carry your water bottle and your coat and all of the things you're not going to read later. I don't want the inconvenience. I don't want the responsibility. Yet when we read words this way, we don't consider the conflict. Here is one who is carrying all things, and none of them are his. Not a one. Not one offense, not one sin, not one grief. None of it is his. And so when we read this word, The surprise must blossom for us when we consider that he's willing. I'm willing to carry it. I'm willing to carry it all. Yet this phrase says more. Because it's not just saying that he carried them. It's the way that we have to translate it. 
But it's saying ultimately that he takes that which is ours as his own. So now if Henry gives me his coat on the field trip, now that coat is my coat. So here is the son saying, this is all yours, and now it's mine. It's all mine. And he isn't just carrying something for us to give it back later. He says, no, it belongs to me now. It is mine now. It is his I will be responsible for it. I am responsible for it. And in that way, I will carry it. I will carry it because it is best. And so think about that. Because what he carries totally is nothing we would ever want to carry. It's those things that we don't want to share with other people. It's those things that we don't want other people to know about us. It's all of those dark and gross things in the recesses of our hearts that we're thankful that there's flesh and all of these niceties that we can keep in front of it so that nobody knows how I really am other than the fact that we all know that we're broken and sinners. That we're all messed up. And he says, I'm willing to carry all of that and make it mine. He carries all that we would consider something to grieve over. Something that we hurt over the most. That which makes you tear up even now. He carries every bit of our brokenness. Every grief belonging to the sin nature. Every sickness of our body and soul. All of it. Everything about our lives that is marred by sin. Surely. Surely, he has borne our grief. And he has carried all of our sorrows. Every one of those tears that you cry over the brokenness in this life, the brokenness that you've endured, the brokenness that you've seen, the brokenness that you've experienced, he carries it and takes it for himself. He carries all of that in the experience of true suffering and weakness according to our flesh. He carries all of that that we would consider belonging to death, to decay, to separation, to disappointment, to regret, to opportunities missed or not taken. Surely. Every way in which we have acted out against God, surely every way in which we have acted out in disobedience and rebellion against our neighbors, surely, in every one of our sins, surely. I bear that and I carry that for you as though it's mine. And he totally shoulders and carries all of it. All of it. And yet part of the tragedy of such a verse so familiar, so beautiful, is then what we do with it. Because in hearing what he has surely carried and totally shouldered, is that there are those who still seek to carry things alone, to carry them by themselves, as if they could 
So here's the opposite of the child who gives you all their junk on a field trip. Now you see being someone who is able and capable and and sometimes with our older members, I won't say old, but older, you start to still think that you can do all the things that you've always been able to do. And you might get a little bit what we would call stubborn about it. And I can do this. And then you throw your back out or you hurt yourself and why didn't I just ask for help? And as your children, we look at you and say, why didn't you just ask for help? You can't do it. Oh, but I just wanted to help. That isn't help. It's not help. We get frustrated when we see people trying to lift and carry things they are physically unable to, but the greater frustration is that which comes when they insist that they can and will not simply let others do that which they cannot themselves do. And that makes sense to us. And then God looks at you right now and says, why doesn't it make sense to you? Why do you keep trying to carry that which I have already promised to carry? Why do you bear in yourself that which you can't carry to the end and be saved? Why? That's how we act before God in ignorance and arrogance, in sinful pride, believing that we should be able to do and carry that which only Jesus Christ can do and carry. And it's worse than that because it not only affects that vertical relationship with a God who has shown himself time and time again to be merciful, who says, I will carry it all. And I will exchange it for a light burden and an easy yoke. But it starts to affect our relationships horizontally too. It affects the relationships that we have in the body, in the church. It's it's why we struggle to share our burdens with the Lord, certainly. But the symptom then also shows itself when we struggle to share our burdens with each other. As though we think we can still carry something. As though we're doing a better job carrying things than other people. More than that even, it's a part of why we struggle to be willing to share other people's burdens. Man, can you believe how much he shared? Can you believe she thought that? It's paralyzing, right? What if they know me? What if they were to know me like God knows me? We struggle thinking, even ourselves, that we might have shared too much or we will be judged for it. But it's worse than that even because we're hurt when others won't carry those burdens with us, but instead hurt us or accuse us or malign us rather than simply say, I understand and I care for you. And here's the beauty of the Christ who carries this for us. You see, it's now, congregation, as individuals in a church body, that we need to be brought again to Jesus. That we need to be brought again to the example of Jesus. But more again to the wonder of that which he calls us to carry to him. And what we carry for each other to him. That we're called to care for and bear with each other to fulfill that which we've been called to in Christ. 
but we do so in the most unbelievable, unexpected freedom and confidence, which is this. Jesus has already said it's his. Like you're carrying that big thing and and your little son, your little daughter kind of puts a hand on it and they think they're helping you. They're not helping you. They're not doing anything. And that's the point. Jesus has said it's mine because he has made all our sufferings, our griefs, and our sorrows his. Carrying all of them, hear it again, because he has made them. Everything that you could fill into the place of that word, them. He carries all of it and shoulders it so totally that we may be assured totally and eternally that now and evermore all we will carry even for each other is a light and easy yoke in union with him. And yet even now perhaps those wheels are still struggling to make that connection. How can we know these things? How can we do this? How can we live in this way? How, that, that rebels against everything we've ever heard of. And you're right, if you're still dead in trespasses and sins, then you're still looking for a way to carry yourself and clean up your own mess. In some ways, you might not even know you have a mess, but if that guilt, that grief is working in you, you know that you are in a, under a crushing burden and you can't get rid of it. But even in being given a new life, we don't always connect in our hearts and minds what its total shouldering is all about. We surely talk about his suffering, about his sorrow, about the wrath of God against sin, but we don't see it for what it is. And so it just comes off as very generic talk, very Christian jargony speak. So I want to ask you tonight, how do you see Jesus in his work as the suffering servant? Is he just a helper? Do you not need help? Do you even need a suffering servant? Have you esteemed him? Have you seen him? Have you considered him? Have you seen him in his work? Have you seen him as one stricken with the infliction of the cost of your brokenness? As one who is smitten with the judgment of a holy God. As one afflicted in every part of his humility and humiliation with the experience of the Father's right wrath against your sin and my sin. All of it. And all of what is incurred by way of that sin. And if you've gotten to that point, you still haven't gone far enough. I say to you tonight that you must see more. It has to be more. Because we must believe that he shouldered and carried and experienced all of these things. But that he did it for you and for me. We must see that he has done this as a total and only substitute for us. That is the thing we must believe with all of our heart. No help, no assistance, no bringing what I think is good to him. 
nothing. I have nothing because you took it all. Praise the Lord, you took it all. All of it. He has to do more than just carry the cost of sin and brokenness. It needs to be yours and mine, all of that belonging to his chosen people, that we might live out the wonder of his substitution in such a heartfelt repentance and faith and thanksgiving. Because you did this for me. You carried this for me. You shouldered this for me. It is so unexpected. I could have never expected it. And you did it anyway. And so I say to you plainly, stop seeking to carry all of it yourself. You can't. And that way only ends in judgment and separation from God forever. Stop it. Stop believing that you can with just a little help because you need one who is your total substitute. One who surely carries all, all your griefs and your sorrows and shoulders all of it. And that demands a faith, yes, that is personal. But a faith then that goes forth from us to each other as we carry and bear each other's burdens saying, we got to bring this to the cross. we got to bring this to Christ. Because he carries this for us. A faith founded in him alone because of what he's born. Not only our sin, but now the right judgment for it. And so he shoulders and carries a total punishment for our peace. And so it's that our O-U-R element that is now emphasized in verse 5. Because surely, surely he takes up and upon himself the penalty. There's a cost. There's a price of that sin. And so he takes up the penalty of the curse of our sin, the death of our judgment, our forsaking so that we would never be forsaken. He takes upon himself our total punishment for the nature we were born with, and for the actual sins that we commit. How do we know that? Because he was pierced for our transgressions. Psalm 109.22 makes the case clear in, in terms of who ought to be pierced or stricken. For I am poor and needy. My heart is stricken within me. And he says, I take that. I take up the total punishment, stricken for what they've committed in willful rebellion and disobedience. Since by man came death, this kind of stricken wound, I will die their death that they may have life. So not only will I take what is theirs, but I will give them what is mine. He was crushed for our iniquities. He takes up a total punishment For that which separates us from God. He takes up the punishment against that sin nature. Against that which is ours in our federal head Adam. And in his brokenness and fallenness. A brokenness that is ours not only in his sin but also in the curse that comes from it. Separation. And the son says I will take that too. It says in Colossians 1 in you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That separation 
He, Christ, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. He takes what is yours totally and He gives you what is His. He suffered crushing agony. He was literally, as this word means, he was trampled by it. Trampled in the street by it. Left for dead by it. Died by it. So that you would have a path made to you back into the Father's presence in fullness of joy and the pleasures at his right hand forevermore. That you would be brought back to the Father and that we would enjoy, even by way of what he took up, the comfort that is ours in the next portion of Lamentations. We sang, Great is thy faithfulness. We heard the call to worship. But these are the words of Lamentations 3, 31 through 36. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit the Lord does not approve. And yet the son says, I will take that punishment. I will take that crushing. I will take that trampling for them. That's what their sins deserve, but now those are mine. And how you look upon them through me is in the gift of my perfect holiness and righteousness. That assurance is ours because of what he's taken up. Surely pierced for us. Surely cursed for us. Surely punished for us. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so here is a word that, it, that mixes up, or not mixes up in a bad way, but, but takes together all of the concepts now of, of correction, of that which needs to be made right. He takes up a total punishment so that we can be provided total peace. And so he bears that wrath. And he receives that correction. And he bears that pain. And he shoulders it all. Why? So that we, even us, could have total, the Hebrew word, shalom. And not just peace like we're okay in relationship again. No, like nothing's the same again. In the best way that I have forgiven you and I remember it no more and I make you new and I change you and our relationship's different because of what I've given you and your response to what that is and I'm going to keep making that better and better and better until that last day where total shalom is poured out in new heavens and new earth. But for now you have it in Christ So that we could be made again in true righteousness and holiness. No more sin. So that we could be restored in face-to-face relationship. No more shame. No more hiding. So that we could be redeemed unto blessing. Reconciled forever. He takes all of that up for us. In bearing that wrath 
according to the truth and power of his divinity. And by his wounds we are healed. He bore in his body the right punishment of God and the unjust punishment of man for us. And so it is good to consider as we move toward that cross that he endured every punch, every lash, every insult, every abandonment, every bit of mockery, every bit of his physical suffering throughout his whole life, but especially at the end. He takes up all of that according to the weakness of his humanity, and he gives all. He holds nothing back. Not a drop of his being, not a drop of his blood, giving every bit of it to carry and shoulder everything. And by his gift, his action, his shouldering, his bearing, his carrying, hear it, we are healed. Reality now. We're not waiting or let me keep carrying this until now. We are healed. That is ours now in union with the crucified, risen, and coming again king, our burden bearer, our healer, and our sustainer forever. You are healed. Oh, I am so messed up. You are healed. You don't know my broken. You are healed if you are found in Christ not having a righteousness of your own. See, yeah, we're still fighting old nature. And we still have to put to death that sin that so easily besets us. But you've been healed. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You live in the Spirit now. You live in Christ now. You are healed. And the wonder of his suffering and perhaps even the surprise of this text is the emphasis here doesn't fall on his wounds. It falls on the healing. That he is willing even to suffer that. I want you to rush past this word in order to get here. You are healed. A new reality known only in him and in his work on our behalf. But hear this plainly. He is the only way of healing. I want to conquer my sin. You're not going to do it in your own strength and understanding. I want to stop living for the old man. You're not going to be able to just discipline yourself and get through it. He is the only way of healing, which means that we must believe that he carries it all surely, that he has done everything for our salvation surely, and that by it we are surely and totally healed now and forever. There's nothing you're going to do if you are found in Christ that will undo what he's done. Because he has done this for our peace, as our peace, shouldering it all so that in his peace we can be brought and carried into the presence of a holy God, yes, but an Abba Father for eternity. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Do you believe that?
just some of it, not all of it, every bit of it. And so you are called place your trust and hope for such a reality in him, knowing he's the only one who could shoulder all of this that you would see, that you would behold him in the great salvation that he has worked for you, that he has earned, so that you would carry nothing to him but your sin, knowing that he has carried in himself that total punishment for every one of them and for every one of the sins of his people, so that you would know him, that you would know peace. Know it surely and believe it surely in Christ. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and wonder of what your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has borne for us, shouldered for us, carried for us in all of its totality, that we could be given peace and healing, that we could be channels of peace and peacemakers, those who work healing. Father, even amongst ourselves as we point others and lead them to Christ. So, Father, we do confess to you those times where we think we're, we're helping you. We're not. Help our unbelief. Help us to bring all of our sin to you, not hiding any of it. You know it all together. But, Father, may we confess those sins not only to you, but, but Father, in knowing that you've carried that burden, your son has shouldered all of that for us, that we can be made right with you, Father, we pray. That in the way that we care for and bear each other's burdens, Father, that we would lead one another in those moments. Back again to Christ and the wonder of his redeeming love. And so, Lord, we pray, work in us that kind of spirit of wonder, of thankfulness. And, Father, in the ways that we carry each other's burdens, may we fulfill that law of Christ, the beauty of all that he has done for us in thanksgiving and praise. So, Lord, may you, Make these realities plain for us, and may we give you all the praise for them we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.